Hey, what's going on? Pre-orders are now available on trainingforultra.com. If you're interested in picking up a copy of Training for Ultra, Ultra Running Stories from the Middle of the Pack, it's a book I'm putting together, trying to inspire you guys, motivate you to get out and run. I mean, there you'll hear the whole story and you know, a bunch of stuff that I haven't shared before on my humble humble beginnings as a runner and uh you'll get to see some pictures and background as to how I even started running, you know, how I got into my first few races, and you'll hear a lot more details on each race, and hopefully it's motivating to you, and uh, at worst, just entertaining and fun to read. So check it out. Uh, Hard copy is now available for pre-order, and it should be released early 2019. Welcome to Training for Ultra, the podcast. Welcome to episode 63 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Rob, and I also go by Training for Ultra, and I know what you're thinking. Is he recording or is he running? Where where the heck is he? This is just pre-recorded. Um, we get a some really good insights into Sean Nakamura, who is just known for running 200 milers. Very excellent um, runner, and it's interesting to see how he got into the sport during this conversation. I I truly enjoyed it. He's a unique guy and works full time and seems very relatable. So fun speaking with him and yes i am probably still running um moab as we speak so um (laughs) i ironically you probably just heard that um, message noise i i do get feedback from a lot of people that actually was some feedback um from someone and i appreciate all the messages you guys send my way i got an email from a recent she actually just became a uh Patreon supporter, but I asked her if I could read the email because I thought it was pretty cool. She said, Hey Rob, I discovered your podcast this summer after being a longtime listener to many other ultra running podcasts. You have a you have truly provided a renewed motivation and inspiration to my running goals. I just turned fifty two and I have run a number of fifty Ks and fifty mile races over the past decade, but that hundred mile distance scared me. Your story encouraged me to put my ego aside and to face a new challenge. I can't accomplish a goal if I don't give it a go. I will be lining up at my first 100 miler on October 20th. I have been using all the Hammer products since listening to the podcast with Brian Frank and always feel renewed confidence after listening to your podcast on my run. Wishing you the best luck at Moab. I'll be following your adventure. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Sheila. That was a really cool email to take all that time to to thank me. And I, I read all the emails um, and messages that you guys send over. And, you know, I, again, I, I say this often. I, I truly mean it. I find your guys' stories just as inspirational as anything. Um, I truly like seeing your Instagram updates of your runs. I wish I had, you know, more time to go through them all. But, um. Yeah, big thank you to Sheila, and, and keep sending them. If, you know, if you're embarrassed to share them, you don't have to. 
So, but I do appreciate them when I get them. So this episode, I did want to thank our sponsors, our newest sponsor, Exoskin. If you haven't tried them out, feel free to use my promo code T the number four and U twenty. So T four U twenty, and you'll get twenty percent off your order. And right now, as we as you listen, I'm probably in the Moab desert running in Exoskin socks. So and and calf sleeves and possibly base layer. So I don't have any sponsors on this show that I don't fully believe in enough to use myself during races. So I, Exoskin's a perfect example. Like I'm not going to have an ad slot for any company that I don't believe in and I, I'm wearing the socks right now. So uh, I've tested them a lot. They're really cool, very high-tech sock. And uh, I mean, that leads to I'm probably using Hammer Nutrition right now as we speak and uh, I'm at a destination trail event that Candace Burt is putting on the Moab 240 and let's see here can we work Sufferfest in I, I have one at the finish line so I have an F, a cold FKT waiting for me at the finish line and uh, I truly appreciate uh, you know those sponsors they help make this all possible along with the Patreon supporters Keep those messages coming if you want to share them. Uh, I'll try to get more on the air to to make sure you guys know, like, you're not alone. Like, like Sheila being scared of the 100-mile distance, I, I was so scared of the 100-mile distance. Um, and honestly, the last year I figured out the best way to really learn how to run 100-milers to go run a 100-miler. I mean, as long as, like Sheila, she had her 50Ks in and her 50 miles in, it would be good to probably throw in a 100K type race or maybe a time type event so you can test yourself out a little bit, but it's it's okay to fail. Um, I'm confident with Sheila, and I, I think she will have base level fitness to finish her race. So enjoy the episode, and yeah, have a great week, and look forward to actually seeing the results of the Strava Run Club kind of uh week week long of activity competition that challenge too so thanks guys see you next week i'm joined here by sean nakamura he's sponsored by ultra rabbit pro compression mirror energy run gum and proven nutrition sean thanks for joining me man hey thanks rob appreciate you having me yeah i mean i'm just i'm really excited to speak with you i mean started following you I think on one of the social media outlets and like first thing that stuck out to me besides you know hearing about your 200 milers was you know all these run streaks and it was a crazy number of run streaks and I was just like man I have to reach out to him and then I I had the uh the backup someone on Patreon was like yes you have to get him on the show at some point so I'm just glad we were able to connect and um, you know, you had the time to, to speak with us. Uh, absolutely. Uh, ha- happy to, of course. So, you know, you've, you've done, I think one interview, one podcast interview prior, and I want to start from the beginning and hear the full Sean story. Like, I want to know how you even got interested in running, where you grew up, like, and what sparked, because even within our crazy little subculture i mean what you're doing is definitely an outlier and it's amazing 
and I know you're inspiring a lot of people. You, where'd you grow up? Where'd you? When did you first start running? Um, yeah, so originally I uh, grew up in Northern California, so just a little north of San Francisco. Um, played a lot of sports, but uh, never never ran uh, or was a runner outside of maybe training for other sports. And, um, you know, unfortunate because, you know, the Marin Headlands and some of the trails up there are just spectacular. So it was all wasted on my, uh, uh wasted on me as I was younger. <laughs> um, then headed, headed back down to San Diego. So for college, went to UC San Diego, uh, stuck around after college, really liked the area and, um, you know, got a job and all that kind of stuff and life took over and was never running up until that point. I mean, I, I would definitely exercise uh, quite a bit, go to the gym. Um, I, I'd go for like a few hours at a time. I was really into that in college and uh, would, would do a lot of weightlifting and, and so forth, but just not a lot of cardio. And then I do, uh, you know, intramural type athletics um, uh, as well, you know, as I was progressing, um, just branching out with different interests, but running really didn't capture my attention until uh, quite a ways uh, down the road. And <clears throat> I've probably been running for about eight, a little over eight years now. Um, and it was really, uh, it really came around because I wanted to change. Um, I wanted to change how I felt essentially. I was doing a lot of um, workouts that weren't necessarily uh, weren't necessarily cardio based, and so you know, I, but I could lift a lot of weight. I mean, I could bench a couple of plates on either side with a, with the bar at least two twenty five. For and for someone my size, it was quite a lot of weight, um, and so I just felt a little out of proportion. Um, I felt like I wanted to have the energy of someone who. Uh, what I imagined the energy of, you know, a runner. And so I just, I did a, a full 180 and um, stopped going to the gym, stopped lifting uh, heavy weights. I, I continued to, um, you know, lift lighter weights and higher rep repetitions and uh, just started from scratch. So literally couch to a couple miles. Um, and that was my first goal. And so I did that just about eight, eight years ago in the summertime, and uh, I couldn't even run a mile without stopping when I first tried. Um, but after, you know, a few few days to a week, I was able to build up to a mile. And then from there, it was, you know, well, let me just get, you know, two to three miles. And after a few more weeks, I was able to hit that. And, and, um, and really, I wanted to set myself up with uh, – a habit essentially. So to make this stick and make it a lifestyle change for me, um, I decided to set that uh, original run streak goal. And so I, I just said, I'm going to do this for 30 days and uh, I'm going to run at least a couple of miles. And hopefully that would be enough to make it become a habit and something that, you know, my body would be used to um, mentally, I would be prepared for, you know, I would, I would make it happen. And so that's kind of how running started for me. Um, at the time, I was probably, gosh, I had to have been uh, about 185 to 187 pounds at my heaviest. Again, doing a lot of weightlifting, um, but not thinking about diet, uh, definitely not running. Um, and uh, so part of it was, you know, transforming, you know, the different muscle groups, um, getting my body just used to doing these types of movements and then working on the entire cardiovascular system and 
like all the systems essentially. And I'll tell you, when I first started the streak, um, I got got 21 days into the 30-day goal, and my body just, um, I basically got sick. Um, my, my body was like, hey, you know, uh, what, what are you doing here? And um, I had to take a couple weeks uh, break, um, recover, and then I, I tried it again. And then, uh, you know, I finally hit 30 days, 30 became 60 um, you know, 60 became a hundred and then, uh, the goal just continued to get uh, bigger and bigger until someone sort of planted a seed in my head about, you know, you should run every day for a year. And I really hadn't thought of it like something like that I would do for a year continuously. Um, but that, that seed was planted. Um, and the rest is sort of history. It just became natural. Like, like breathing for me and so, I, and now it's it's uh it's a big deal so yeah for the listeners background i've never even talked about run streaks i mean what what are the rule like are there rules like i mean do you do you have your yeah, own think, rules for this or like explain to the listener what a run streak is yeah, i mean you wear clothes so you wear clothes during these runs right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so there's no streaking through the quad uh, up to the gymnasium, you know. Um, but no, so basically it's running every day. And I actually didn't realize it was a thing. I didn't realize it was something that other people were even doing when I started. Um, it was really just a personal goal with really coming from the approach of, you know, trying to create a habit. And I had been very familiar from doing other athletics when I was younger of things like muscle memory and just training by repetition. So I thought, well, maybe I'll be able to just make this a regular thing for myself. So streaking, um, now there there are, you know, kind of official run streak groups and associations and things like that that I found out about after over a year of, when I hit a year, someone's like, oh, I wonder if anyone else is doing this. And so I started researching. But so I set my own rules, essentially. Um, Initially, and I said just two miles would be my minimum because at the time, you know, eight years ago, almost eight years ago, that was really, you know, a decent challenge for me. But it wasn't anything too challenging in terms of there, there wouldn't be an excuse at any at any point. Like I would always have 15 to 20 minutes, depending on how fast I needed to run or how slowly I needed to run. Um, everybody has 15 or 20 minutes every day. Um, no excuses. So that was an easy barrier for me to eliminate. Uh, by setting that goal, um, I would later find out that the official run streak association um, or, or groups that that will sort of keep track of different run streaks, they will set uh, I think a one mile uh, minimum, and so that just, that just happens to be what they'd set. Uh, my personal one just happens to be two miles, and a lot of other people have um, you know a, v- a variety of different goals that they've set for their streaks. It could be you know, anything. It could be, I'm going to run twice a day for a month. I'm going to run, you know, 10 miles a day for a month or two months or however long. Um, the average for my streak, I can say, uh, is roughly six miles a day over the course of the entire streak. And, uh, at my, I think my biggest year, um, cause I've been a little bit working with uh, through some injuries this year, but last year, I think it was about ten, uh, nine, nine miles average per day. Wow. So somewhere around roughly 3000 miles, nothing for the year. Uh, so not, nothing too crazy, but just consistent. Yeah. How do you, um, how do you work through an injury when you've essentially mentally told yourself you're doing 
two miles a day regardless. I mean, what do you, how do you work through that? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Um, I do a lot of easy effort uh, running and um, a lot of recovery running, so especially if I'm racing a lot. And uh, over the last few years, I've definitely um, <laughs> run a lot of a lot of races. Yeah, and that's I use an understanding, which is. Um, but but you know, I think the biggest thing is just deciding, like uh, you know, no matter what, I'm gonna give it a go. And honestly, if I had uh, some sort of injury that was significant enough. I mean, I would obviously need to stop. Um, but I've run through everything from, you know, a bashed in kneecap, um, which took a couple of months for me to be able to put like a full effort on. Um, and before that I would just shuffle. I would do really slow, easy running, um, and, uh, just kind of get through some of these injuries. Um, yeah. and it's difficult. Like there's definitely a gray area between, you know, what's an injury, like when are you hurt and when you're truly injured. Um, and there's definitely gray areas I've battled through uh, and others are just c- circumstantial. Like, um, uh, the worst one for me, uh, I think I mentioned this before, but I mean, I got food poisoning really badly one time and on a couple occasions, but one in, in memory that I just was literally, I couldn't leave the bathroom for like the whole day oh, and for a couple of days, really. Yeah. And, and it sounds, it, it sounds as bad as it was. I just, I got food poisoning and I had to like a, find the, the courage to, to go out in public and circle the, you know, the neighborhood and, and just get back to safety, the safety, safe confines of, uh, it's the restroom there. So that was the roughest. You're leaving. Um, you're leaving a streak. <laughs> That's funny. Oh man. It was. It was. That was a brutal one. That was a few years back. But uh, you know, I've done. I, like I mentioned, I've I've popped my ankle out of the socket before at a race. Just completely tore the ligaments on my uh, my ankle. Um, finished the race. That was pretty crazy. Uh, but then, like, yeah. I mean, I had to do stuff like you know, wraps the ankle. Uh, typically, like if, if that happens, you just can't really pivot. So you're not going to be doing any basketball maneuvers, but yeah. the up and down flexion yeah. of the foot, um, will still hold up, uh, you know, enough to get like a very easy run going. And the, the way that I think about it is it's an opportunity to get the blood flowing. So if, if you have an ankle sprain and it starts to get black and blue, you know, you are at least moving blood around and, and there is an opportunity there to heal. I wouldn't recommend doing uh, a lot of running in that circumstance. Uh, and most doctors will say just, you know, don't do anything for a while. But um, I do, I do think there is a benefit of, of getting some of the blood flowing uh, in terms of recovery, but um, there are definitely some gray areas. I will yeah. definitely admit that for sure. You're making me feel like a wimp. I'm going to be honest. I feel like <laughs> even the smallest little thing and it's, take a day off or take two days off um and so let's go back i mean so you're 90 days in you passed the 100 days that was probably a big mark for you like when yeah. does when do you sign up for a race when's this when does this uh daily build up you know cross over into you know some races which i'm sure inspire you to train and then how the heck do you even find out about ultra running? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I literally, you know, I would say it was about two months in and, um, 
you know, the idea of a half marathon landed, uh, came my way. I had really not considered anything. Um, you know, I wasn't really looking for a race, I'll be honest, but I was, you know, as fit as I had felt in a long time and, uh, cardiovascularly speaking. And, uh, so that literally turned around, I think two weeks later. Yeah. So I got that idea. It was, the, it was a, a half marathon here in, in San Diego, um, the San Diego. Yeah, that's right. Uh, San Diego. And I mean, I hadn't run more than five miles before that. And so my training, quote air quotes, finger quotes, <laughs> was I did a, a five miler on Saturday and then I did an eight miler on Sunday. And then the next weekend I ran the half marathon and to my surprise, I, w- I was able to run uh, 12, 12 miles, I think, without having to take a break. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the last mile, I, I was, just, I, you know, I took a little walk break, and then I just finished the last mile. And it was, I'll be honest, it was a very emotional uh, thing to finish at something like a half marathon when, you know, the very last thing you were thinking about was, um, you know, finishing a race of really any kind of distance. And, uh, so that was definitely a special moment. Um, I remember thinking about like everyone who kind of told me, you know, you're kind of a smaller, I I never was, you know, like the typical, whatever that's, this means, but like the typical runner body, I don't have like super long legs or super lean, you know, uh, whatever you'd imagine some track star to look like, it was just not the image that I portrayed at the time. I mean, you're you're talking to a natural here. So, uh, you know, I've always just been gifted with distance running myself. Um, that That's amazing. So you got a taste of the distance and like, was it, did you immediately sign up for a marathon? Was it like next day you're like, I'm hooked or, or how yeah, was, so, how was the following week for you? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a big deal. I think um, immediately I thought about you know, I want validation. I wanted it like, this wasn't a fluke. Like I really did do this. So I think I ran a, another half marathon, um, like maybe the next month and, uh, and probably like every month thereafter for the rest of the year. Uh, and that, that race was like in February. So, um, and again, just imagine I, I was really very, still very new uh, to running at all. Um, just probably three or four months in by then, um, and, uh, so, you know, half marathon was kind of a big deal. I didn't take the plunge on a marathon until the following January. And that was early, uh, 2012 at the Carlsbad uh, marathon. That was my first. And so, yeah, I guess roughly 10, 11 months before I finally decided to go for it. And everyone thought I was crazy, um, <laughs> for trying and, um, yeah, that was the first. That was probably the first and only marathon I've ever truly trained for, like uh, in the traditional sense of training, and uh, where I where I really had a plan. Um, it was really an unknown, and um, you know I, I hadn't done anything longer than I think I want to say I went up to eighteen or twenty miles um, for my long run in preparation, where I. I don't know if I've told this story before, but I, I literally was on the brink of passing out on my training run from a lack of nutrition and calories. And, 
gosh, I'll never, never forget this. Uh, I had to crash a part, like an outdoor, like an adult party in a real swanky neighborhood that I was running through. <laughs> they, they had like a bartender. They had like different things. I was just, I ran over there. I was literally about to pass out and I asked them for some sugar and they, they had Coke for mixers. I'm not kidding. They, they, they fed me some cookies that they had laid out on some nice dishes. And then they had, uh, I think I drank two Cokes. And I, I swear that like saved my life. It was really kind of crazy, but I, I was so under, um, ill prepared for that training run that, um, I was, the world was spinning. Like I could feel the tingly fingers. I mean, it was scary. Really. Scary. Everyone at the party was like, Oh man, that guy's drunk. Like <laughs> they, they weren't sure what was he happening, but he I didn't even I, wear dress clothes to this or he was drunk before. <laughs> it was pretty wild. Like I started taking off my clothes, like my shoes. I would take off my shoes. I was thinking that would make make me feel better. I had a pack on um, that that I had filled with like I want to say I took this is my training, uh, my concept at the time of how to plan into the nutrition side. I had like a two liter of I think semi flat Coke or something like that <laughs> that I put into a a Camelback or something, and that was I took that as my nutrition for the run. I kid you not. It was uh, it was pretty scary, but uh, yeah, it's funny to think back. Uh, I just yeah, I was a couple miles from my car. I just didn't have quite enough calories, and yeah, they saved me. So <laughs> that's a great story, man. I I can just picture that. That's very visual. So after that uh, interesting training run, I mean, how's the marathon go for you? And kind of what what leads to what. Yeah, um, you know, the marathon went pretty well. Uh, I think I definitely felt, you know, how people feel when they hit their wall, whatever mile that ends up being for them. Um, I'm sure I felt that, you know, 18 to 20 miles in. Um, and But, you know, it was a really beautiful course along the the ocean in Carlsbad. At least the second half is. Um, I had a family member, an uncle, who came out to see me at one of the turnaround points and cheer me on. He he was actually the closest thing I had um, in terms of like a uh, you know, family member who was a runner and he had run a, a 10 K and that was a really big deal that he had run this 10 K. So this is my uncle. And so it was really inspiring for me to see and kind of heartwarming that he came out. He lives up in that area. So it was, um, that was really nice. And yeah, I mean, I was able to get through it. Um, I think it took me almost five hours to finish, maybe four hours and, you know, 45 minutes, maybe something like that. And, nice. um, I got, I crossed the finish line. I think everything hurt, everything hurt really badly. And, uh, but I was, uh, ecstatic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's special. Like your first half marathon, first marathon, like I, I didn't even care about the times. It was just. I want to have a marathon medal around my neck for some weird reason that yeah. just seemed to be like, Oh man, you've really done something when you get that marathon medal. Um, now they just yeah, all show up and they just all go in a shoebox now. But I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so again, did you, you catch the bug or like, I, I'm interested to know how you even found out about ultra running because I mean, to me, yeah. a lot of people yeah. just, they focus on Boston and then they never even venture out on the trails. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the, the, sh 
the short version of the story is I spent the rest of that year, you know, trying to improve. Um, well, not, I, I wouldn't say necessarily trying to improve, but naturally I'd say everyone tries to improve as they go. But I was just running more races, getting more experience, getting into better shape. Um, so all of 2012 was kind of like that. I didn't really make any significant improvements in my my speed or finish time, no matter what I, I did. So um, I decided to do a different streak uh, come 2013, and I actually started a salad streak of all things. Um, so you can kind of tell I like to I like to do things uh, in sort of a regular manner and try to make make change. Um, and so honestly, after like two to three months of doing a salad streak. Um, and literally the, the, the way I set it up was I literally said, I'm going to have one salad every day, at least one salad every day. And that's it. That was the only rule. Didn't matter what kind of salad, didn't matter how big it was or whatever. But my thinking was that it would replace, uh, whatever else I was going to eat that was probably going to be less healthy. Um, whether that be, you know, a burger or some sandwich or some other thing that was maybe not as healthy. So, after two, three months, uh, I ran the LA marathon and finally got a significant drop, like over half an hour improvement in my finish time. And, um, and, and I think that's when I started getting a little more excited about, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting more comfortable with being a little faster for the marathon. Um, and I started thinking about, you know, what else, what else could I do? Uh, what else is out there? And, um, and in 2013, that's probably, I would say like right after that, it was kind of like, Oh, I wonder what else there is. I would look at like the local running magazines and all that stuff. And I finally uh, found out about uh, this race called the Leona divide. And, um, and that's a Kira Henninger race. Uh, and it's a 50, 50 mile race. And um, yeah, I went ahead and like took a chance on that. Signed up. That was in April 2013. The the race was nice, and I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't. I mean, I didn't really know. I took the leap from marathon to I'd probably done maybe seven or eight marathons by then, um, maybe ten. And then um, I just kind of showed up. I didn't really know. You know, I didn't do a ton of trail running. I think the longest trail run I I might have done was uh, a trail half, maybe a trail marathon. Um, I didn't know what Western States was. Um, I didn't know that it was even a qualifying race for Western States. Um, I didn't really think about like, there's a, there's, there are even hundred mile races. I just knew there's this ultra race looked pretty cool. I was able to sign up and, um, and you know, off I went on a little adventure. I like that. I mean, I, I truly like that a lot because people are so scared of failure and it's like, it's not the end of the world if you don't finish an ultra race. Like, it's okay to just get out there, explore, try something new. Like, it's not the end of the world. And then backtracking to your, your salad streak, I've never told anyone this. Only my wife knows that I I do the exact same thing in my taper into a race. So, like, a roughly oh, nice. three or, or two weeks prior to a big race, I do... Literally, I felt like I was thinking to myself, hearing you say that, like, I I don't care what salad it is, how big it is, whatever, like, I need to replace one probably not-so-great meal with a salad, and I, too, like to just challenge myself with trying to do that once a day. 
Um, I don't know if we have like a similar personality or something there. That's I've never taken it beyond just my like little taper period though. Um, that's yeah, really cool. I, I, I definitely, um, I definitely recommend people try different things with their diet and, um, you know, you might get a good results. You might not, but, um, uh, mixing it up. Like if you're not getting some sort of improvement or change that you're expecting, um, you know, while I do believe in sort of being consistent, I think that if you're consistently getting no change, no results, um, then mixing it up, trying something different. And, and really the, the, um, the, the, the logic behind it was, well, I need to carry So one thing I know for sure, if all things being equal, my training being the same, if I'm carrying a little bit less weight, then I should be able to go faster because I have the same, um, propelling myself, just less of myself. So that was the reason for the salad streak was just to reduce my calorie intake, maybe cut a little weight. And sure enough, it, you know, that really did the trick. And um, I actually was able to do that the entire year. Uh, I did a full year of the streak. And then after that, um, I decided, you know, I already have a run streak. You know, I, I don't want to have too many streaks that I have to maintain here. But um, <laughs> I think naturally, I think naturally it did stick where, um, you know, for many years and even up till now, I, I would probably eat five or six salads a week. Uh, so maybe not every single day, but literally every day for lunch, that's what I'm eating. Um, every once in a while, I'll... I'll, you know, throw in like a, uh, a bowl of some kind, you know, some sort of a macro bowl, um, veggies and rice and so forth. But, um, I, I really became a huge fan of salad. And, and if you'd asked me like the year before, I wouldn't have had any interest in salads whatsoever. So it's, it's kind of funny how I anchored a real positive feeling to that experience. And it made me really like even appreciate salads and I really just, eating healthy and thinking taste, about nutrition. They taste good. I mean, you almost forget about yeah. them, and it's like then you have one, and just leads to the second one. I mean, while we're on the topic, do you have uh, any kind of special special diet? Are you are you vegan? Are you vegetarian? Um, are you sugar free or gluten free or any any of those? Um, yeah, so um, I definitely have been thinking a lot about about nutrition, you know, over the last few years. Um, and I, I did transition to being vegan, uh, back in January. Okay. And, uh, a large part of that had to do with supporting, um, our, our eating habits at home. So my wife, Jenny is also a runner an ultra runner. And, uh, she, she had some challenges with, uh, some food sensitivities. And so, you know, instead of her sort of having different you know, meals, um, than me. Um, I thought, you know, it made sense for us to try to align our diets. Um, and it makes the experience for both of us that much, uh, that much better and aligned in that, in that regard. And we're already very close to being vegan, um, and eating primarily plant-based meals anyway. So it was a pretty smooth transition. Nice. I thought for a little while that maybe, um, you know, bacon might be a thing that I would crave or because um, I, I was like a huge fan of like really extra crispy bacon. Um, and then Nutella, I like after a huge race, I would I take a spoon to a jar of Nutella and just put that, you know, put that down. Um, so like a couple of small things, but honestly, I don't I actually don't crave any of those things. Um, 
And so it's, it's really been a pretty smooth transition. We've found that, you know, cooking is a lot more interesting, uh, a little bit more challenging. So if we do cook, uh, you know, at home, then that's kind of a neat, uh, for us. And then also just eating out, we're really lucky being in San Diego. We've got a ton of options for like amazing plant-based meals. So yeah, that's been, uh, that's been super exciting. So, um, you know, nutrition from the nutritional standpoint, um, yeah, we've been really happy with that, that transition. That's awesome. I, I mean, I've, I've been vegan for, yeah, a month or two. I've tried just about every diet. So just to see what works for me. And I mean, watch out for Rich Roll's I think his wife put out a book on how to make vegan cheese. Just don't buy that book. Trust me. It's, it's, it's way too good. Like I almost like her, some of the cheese that she makes out of like nut based recipes better than actual cheese. So just throwing it out there. Um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. The cashew is like an incredible ingredient. Um, I'm finding, you know, everywhere from, uh, for, you know, one of my, uh, sponsors uh mirror energy we we have this cashew vanilla flavor that is just out of this world yeah um but the cashew based cheeses are just there's just a creamier quality to cashew uh. um in general and um but then there's a whole variety of different nut-based milks and so, so forth yeah it's incredible what people have come up with yeah modern day um, veganisms uh you get to enjoy food <laughs> a lot more than probably you know just a decade ago or two decades ago. So let's go back to yeah. Leona divide, like your first 50 miler you sign up, you've done, you said seven, eight, nine marathons and you're just kind of going for it. I mean, how's, how's just briefly, how's a race go? I mean, yeah. like, was it just a suffer fest out there or, or how'd it go? It was, it was an absolute suffer fest. Um, it was, it was pretty exciting. Like I show up, I don't know anybody. Um, you know, I, my training was, you know, just running road races really and, and road miles. I hadn't done a ton of trail stuff, maybe a, like a handful of races. Like I mentioned, mostly like half marathon type distances. And I showed up on probably the hottest way on a divide on record. I think the temperatures were over a hundred, uh, and, and the terrain there is super exposed. So it's a, a a really well-known race. It's been around for several dozen years. It's had a lot of big names go through there. All this I didn't really know at the time, but um, in, in some of the valleys and some of the climbs, I mean, there were people keeled over on the side, just uh, trying to catch their breath, trying to find a, a wow. shrub to hide under. Um, we had everyone had ice all over there. Like it was just insane. And I'll never forget because I, I you know, it was an out and back course. And, um, this was the original course, um, it's since changed, but the, I never, I'll never forget this. I, I'm running out and I see what I think is the 50 K guy, the leader on his way back already. And I'm only maybe, I don't know, 12 miles in, uh, 15 miles in, I don't know. This guy's flying back and he's probably going to finish, uh, gosh, like he's flying. He's going to, he's going to beat everybody by, you know, really long time. I keep going, keep going. And I don't see anyone else on this on back for like another hour. So the next guy's like way, way back. Um, anyways, I, I finished the race, I get through it and I finished, um, 
gosh, maybe just a little over 11 hours, I think it took me 11 and change. And, uh, and, you know, people are, you know, talking after the race, we're just like, you know, how'd your race go and all this and that. Well, come, come to find out, um, I, this took me like maybe a few weeks later that the guy who I saw running, uh, who was just way out in front of everybody who I thought was running the 50 K it was Rob Carr running the 50 mile in like under six hours. He had just destroyed <laughs> this course. And it, it, it didn't matter. Like I didn't know who he was, but nobody else knew who he was at the time. He had just kind of burst onto the scene. And I don't think anyone else was anywhere near him by, you know, more than an hour at least. Wow. So it was kind of funny to think that that was like his breakthrough race. Um, I also, uh, also I think I finished like right next to Ethan Newberry, uh, ginger runner. Um, okay. we were, and it was, it was also his first 50 miler too. So it was kind of a, a neat thing, but again, I didn't really know at the time. Um, and also I learned about Western States there because everyone kept saying, Oh, you know, Western States, this Western States, that, and it, it was one of the last years where a 50 miler could have been used to qualify. Uh, but you had to run it in under or 11 hours or under, I think oh, I did no. it for like five minutes or something oh. like that. Yeah, but I, it didn't really matter. Yeah. It didn't really matter because it would have been all lost on me. I, I really just wasn't quite there yet in my learning of ultra running. Um, so I mean, I wouldn't have known to sign up or any you know, that kind of stuff. Just so, yet. I mean, so it, it took me a little while to figure that out. A little while. I mean, how long does it take take Sean to figure out there's a hundred miler? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't. So I didn't really appreciate the, the historical significance of the race. And as soon as someone says something like, "It's basically like the Boston Marathon of of hundred milers," and then you everything kind of clicks. It's like, oh, okay. There's a there's hundred mile races, and, and b this is like, um, you know, this is the oldest and it's the original. And so, um, you know, obviously since then I've qualified and signed up. Tried tried to get in every year for for quite a while now, but. Um, but that first one, you know, it's just like anything else you do your first time. It's You just remember it. Um, I, I remember just pretty much everything about that day. Um, learning what an aid station was, like, you know, and, and what drop bags were. And, um, and and really just like a big, you know, it was a bigger-sized event, a really well-run event. It wasn't a tiny little local um, race. And, and so that was a pretty cool experience overall. So I mean we could we could probably have a whole podcast just going over one of your races every week. <laughs> How many ultras have you done to date and yeah, did the run streak continue? Did you take a day off? Um yeah, so great question. Um so I definitely ran the next day. I've run uh every day for Going on twenty two thousand eight hundred and forty six days, I believe, will be today. Um, and uh, yeah, even That's after amazing. a long race or, or a tough race, um, I run at least a couple miles the next day. I typically run just a little bit over that because I, I, I just, for me, it's just like a thing. Like I want to do two point one miles or you know, whatever it is. Um, so no days off. Um, and, uh, I definitely, after finishing that felt like this is something that, that, uh, that I want to, you know, keep doing, keep trying again with the validation again with, you know, what can it, can I do what is possible? Um, 
And fast forward to now, I want to say I'm getting close to about 80, I guess, ultras. Um, 20, I want to say 2800s plus six 200s now. So, you know, decent number of of (laughs) races uh, since, yeah, 2013, so over five years. So do you have that nagging question, Mike? Because I always am like, I've been about testing my limits with distance. I've honestly, I maybe have done one or two sessions at a track ever. And like speed to me is like, okay, hurry up to go pick up the toddlers or whatever for a quick three miles. Um, Right. The the toddler and now newborn. Um, Has it ever been about speed for you? You've thrown down a, a quick marathon or two. I know that for sure. And and you're becoming competitive. I mean, last year clearly at at some of these two hundred mile two hundred mile races. I mean, has has it always been about testing your limits with distance, and just keep yeah testing that, or or what what kind of is the driving force behind this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think there's always a, a a part of me that's thinking about well, how can I improve upon what I've done before. And I think um, one of the reasons I like to go back uh, to, to races, you know, maybe for a few years in a row is, is really, you know, in, in large part to, to see, um, you know, how can I progress over time? Um, how can I make little changes and adjustments that will equate to, you know, faster overall time? Um, and I think it's natural, just like, you know, anyone else, you, you kind of want to see, you know, what your limit is currently and where you think you can uh, go with that and whether it be the marathon or, or longer distance. And I think the longer stuff has just been more interesting to me because I, I love the mountains. I love, you know, longer adventures. Um, I like to see different parts of the country. I love to travel. Um, and so there's just a lot of things there that all kind of align with, you know, doing a big race somewhere that I haven't been before. Um, and, or, you know, go back to somewhere I know is like really beautiful um, but I, I do, you know, I do like to, uh, I like to see if, if I can get, you know, a specific goal time. Um, but I'm realistic as well. Like I am not going to be, you know, some like 14 minute 5k runner or something like that. Um, and so it's just, it's kind of neat to, to test different things. Uh, I would like at some point to actually train for a marathon. Um, the last few that I've done with the intention of qualifying for Boston since that's you know really a, a bucket list goal for almost every runner who's who toes the line at a marathon um that has been like uh, pretty awesome this year it's finally able to get that and get in but nice. you know if I'm honest about just the training side of it I mean I I did zero training for the marathon um to, to qualify um I'd love to you know target a a a goal for that that would be you know uh that would feel out of reach currently and really like train two, hard for that 201 45 or whatever it was <laughs> <laughs> um yeah right so but it would be cool to actually go through you know uh i don't know an eight or ten week block of just like marathon zone and marathon mindset and really try to put a bunch of eggs into that basket and see but um, my passion is definitely, you know, the, the bigger mountain races, um, races that maybe are a little more uh, strategic in terms of, like, where do you 
where do you shift your energy? Where do you focus your, um, your time? Uh, you know, where do you put your training to, to put yourself in the position to you know, get through as quickly as you can and, and still have, still feel like you have gas in the, in the tank at the end to finish strong. So, so let's, um, let's I, and I like, I like those because they're Go ahead. Yeah. yeah of course. Um, no, go ahead. You like those. Why? Oh, I just like the, um, I like the idea of it being more than just the running that's involved. Um, and so I think, I think those, the longer you go, you sort of face these other types of barriers that, um, you know, that really where experience, uh, can help you significantly in terms of, you know, um, getting through like a big mountain race. Um, so there's a, not quite like a, a chess, uh, element to it, but there's, you know, some strategy, um, some planning, uh, some things that, uh, uh, perhaps if you're patient um, and uh, strategic, you, you'd have some sort of um, advantage. So. Yeah, I mean, I I'm exactly the same way. I I really like the challenge, not only the physical miles, but just like troubleshooting, having to be dynamic, figuring out logistics. Like it's just this ultimate like challenge yeah. for for me trying to set up Moab 240s like. Just the logistics are outrageous. Trying to get people to to crew for you and pace you is like uh, I I can't even really describe it quite yet. Um, and just feeling super thankful when people are actually taking days off of work for you, like you feel just horrible and incredibly grateful at the same time. Um, I mean, it, what do you say? Do you do you think it makes or breaks a race for two hundred to have crew and to have a pacer? Yeah, it's a, that's a great point. Um, I mean, I think I'd say a crew uh, and pacers is invaluable at a two hundred miler. And uh, if you have any, you know, serious goal of of not just finishing, I, I think that um, if you're trying to be competitive in the race you're at a huge disadvantage if you don't have a crew and pacers as soon as they allow it, um, not only just to pass the time, um, to share the trail with you, but for safety, um, and really for alertness, you know, through the nighttime sections and, um, for, for navigational support, you know, to help you validate like where you're going. Um, there's a ton of different reasons. If you have issues with your feet, if you need help, like getting the right nutrition down, I mean, the, the less you have to think about and the more that you have the time and energy just to focus on moving forward um, in the race, then you're at a huge advantage. And so you'd want to just eliminate as many of these things as possible, uh, these question marks, before you even tow the line. And, and a crew and pacers will be huge for that. Uh, that said, um, last year, um, you know, I, I ran Moab without – I had a crew. I had a really fantastic, um, a, a great buddy of mine who was crewing, and uh, I ran without pacers for 220 miles until I had such bad hallucinations that um, I, I basically told my my buddy uh, who was crewing me, Josh. He, I told him, "Hey, I, I really need you to come out for this last section. There's 18 more miles to go." Um, and part of that was just sleep, the sleep deprivation component. So. You know, and that was real for really for safety, uh, primarily, and and really um, just to make sure that you know I was able to con- continue forward and uh, and continue to understand like what was going on, 
because uh, you, you start pushing some of these limits of, you know, how much sleep you, you don't get, how far you're going, um, and, you know, some interesting things will happen. I mean, so, but, any, anytime we're talking 200 milers, I, I have to go there. And it was the first question on Patreon that Kat asked. She's like, you have to ask him about hallucinations. Um, and, I mean, I, I need to hear about Moab. And she she left three uh, laughing face emojis after that question. So I'm assuming there's some good hallucination stories. I don't know why I find these so fascinating. It's just maybe I'm just trying to get comfortable with the concept myself because I know it's a possibility when I run, you know, Moab yeah. 240 here. Yeah, I would say be prepared. Um, now, a lot of people, I think the biggest question I get um, – a lot of folks who are, who are going to run their first 200 miler will reach out and, um, and will ask me about, you know, you know, what, it's a big question mark around like, do you sleep? Like what's your sleep strategy? Um, you know, what have you tried? Uh, how many hours do you sleep? How many times do you sleep? Um, and then really what comes along with that question is, you know, the concept of sleep deprivation, uh, what that does to the brain and in terms of, um, you know, hallucinations and your brain has this incredible ability to renew, uh, and to, to feel refreshed when it sees, you know, the, the morning sunrise, for example, and the next day after night, uh, it also has this amazing ability to fill in the blanks of things that don't exist, you know, in the form of hallucinations, you'll see shapes and transform them into things that you're familiar with. And so you start seeing things that aren't there in the, sh- in the shadows, in the darkness, in the, the lower lit areas. And, um, and so all that combined just really creates for some interesting experiences. I mean, um, I've had a, a lot of really good hallucination experiences and some really scary ones. Um, you know, one year my buddy Eric was pacing me through, uh, you'll hear me use this phrase, uh, sometimes where I'll say like, I, no, no third night. And so the reason why I say no third night is because I have a personal, um, I know where my limit is for no sleep. And if I go beyond between 60 and 64 hours with no sleep, that be essentially is a third night. And, and that is like, uh, you know, pretty miserable. Well, one year we were going through a section and we literally thought we were, we were stuck in an infinite loop. Um, like stuck in some sort of time space, like frozen. I, I can't even really explain it because it doesn't really make normal sense. But in in the in the stretch they were going through, the trail started to look like it was exactly the same, and you get like zero lighting uh, or a really really dark night. Um, we had rain that night. Where you're already hallucinating, where you're seeing imagery everywhere, different pictures, different objects, just the gamut of of different visuals. And but we just we didn't think we were making any progress, and we were kind of stuck. And um, it was like horrific. It was actually like terrifying. We came out of that section. It was we got to our crew finally. We got to civilization, and we were like on the brink of like a mental breakdown, like in tears um just through that experience and then of course what's what's super crazy about all that is the fi- the next year i ended up running through there during the day and it was like my favorite part of the entire course <laughs> it was like my favorite section 
And these are in 200s, right? These are like long sections. They're 15 to 20 miles between aid stations. Um, or, you know, relatively speaking, they're, they're long sections. And you get stuck in one of them in a, in a bad headspace or in a, a sort of a, a bad trip, so to speak, with these hallucinations. And it can be, um, you know, pretty scary. And then there's other times where it's just beautiful. Like um, I've I've run through some areas where just I thought every single rock was painted, like hand painted by some uh, master artist, and it was just beautiful and and um, with all kinds of colors. And it just depends on how the light is reflecting off of some of the rocks. Um, you know, it just it it's it's pretty fascinating. And a lot of them are sort of middle of the road hallucinations where you just fill it, your brain just fills in objects that. You, know, you see a bear, you see uh, uh, people camping, or you see, you know, um, uh, what did Courtney say, like a, a leopard in a hammock. I mean, you get all kinds of different things that you, your brain just will fill in the gaps. I've, I, I, last year at Moab, I, was, um, I came through uh, approaching the third night. It was, I was just about 60 hours in, and uh, maybe a little under, and everything was like an advertisement. Like I, I, everything I looked at looked like to me, it was the whole road because we had to transition into this road to get to the aid station. I, I saw uh, billboards. I saw like web. It was like a lot of web advertisements on the ground and they were <laughs> like very real. Uh, and I, I knew I was really approaching that limit where, you know, your brain is just trying to make sense of things and it's doing so in the best way it can. And, it's super fascinating and like what it comes up with. I mean, I was just talking to <laughs> Kyle Curtin about some of the stuff he saw and he didn't hear anything. Do you hear anything or is that part of your brain like switched off? Cause I haven't, I think, yeah. I think uh, Courtney even said like a guy pl- playing a uh, violin or something like that, but there was like no music to it or something to that effect. Do you hear things or is it just all visual? Yeah, you know, it's for me. It's primarily visual. I would say for sure. Yeah, okay. I wasn't like um, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't hearing a lot of. Things. I mean, I'm obviously um, at that point in Moab. That particular experience, I wasn't with anybody else, so I wasn't listening to someone talk to me or like try to encourage me. I wasn't with a pacer or anything or another runner. Um, and yeah, I think it really does become very visual. Okay. Yeah, especially in areas where there's just not a lot, like there's 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 nothing out there, and and Moab has a lot of that, where there's just really nothing out there. Tahoe is a lot of that, and um, especially when you go out into the mountains, and, and you could be miles from a person, right? So, oh, and and the lighting too, like this year Tahoe is a like a barely a moon, I think maybe a, a new moon, um, and it just depends on the year. You might get one year. I, I remember. Um, halfway through the race, like a giant, you know, huge moon, and and the hallucinations and the imagery that that I was seeing were just different. So, so um, but la- it's also sorry. I was just going to say last last hallucination yeah. question. I mean, you said beyond the infinite loop. I mean, you said some got yeah. like seriously scary for you. Like, like what was just one or two like just quick examples of like things that totally freaked you out. Well, the, uh, the infinite loop, I mean, that, that freaked both of us out. That wasn't just me. It was, you know, my, my pacer who had, um, I mean, he had probably run maybe 40 or 50 miles before that section. And it was so terrible that like he was going to continue and pace me for another section, but he, he tagged my other, 
my other pacer, um, he's like, I, I gotta, I need to take a break. Um, cause it was, it was emotionally, uh, like draining and, um, and a little bit, not, not terrified. I mean, I wouldn't go, well, I mean, you start, you start thinking these are real, you, you start thinking the hallucinations are real and somehow your brain's it will react to that on that level. So at the time you don't realize it's not real. So we really thought, I really thought we were stuck. Um, and it's, it's kind of difficult to explain because it, in, if you take a few steps back, it just doesn't make any sense. But when you shield out and filter out every other piece of logic and you, and you almost filter yourself down to what feels like a little kid or something, it just makes all the sense in the world. Um, so this last year at, at Tahoe, just a few weeks ago, I mean, I could definitely comment on, on, I haven't really shared this experience yet. My, my, my crew knows about it, but, um, yeah, I had a really bad, I, I had to go into a third night, uh, well behind, you know, the pace I was hoping to be at. And, um, I made a mistake of not taking a quick nap before my second to last section. Um, so like, I guess a hundred and. 80 ish miles in, I, I should have taken a quick little or tried to take a little break. It's easier said than done. I mean, some people probably can just, you know, conk out and, uh, you know, and take a nap and wake up and feel refreshed. But, um, anyways, I, I thought I was okay, but half, halfway through, maybe a little couple hours into that section, I, I really lost sense of, of, you know, kind of where we were headed um, it was so dark, uh, that and even with really bright lighting. So like I have a 600 lumen waist belt, got, a, you know, 750 lumen headlamp. I mean, I feel like I've got, you know, a lot of light output, but, um, everything else is just so dark and, uh, you're so, you're kind of exhausted at that point that, um, I, you know, I, don't, I just don't think visually, you know, your eyes aren't, aren't quite capturing the light as effectively and efficiently, but I, I started to think that my, my pacer was taking me like to like, he, like, I can't really, how do I explain this? We were headed on some really large, steep climbs in the dark, uh, super pitch black dark. And, um, and these sections, he would, he'd be out in front enough with a bright beaming headlamp looking back, like frequently kind of checking on me to make sure I'm still going. And, to me, I'm thinking he's leading me somewhere and I'm not sure if I trust where we're going. And it felt like all of a sudden my brain was trying to rationalize. Why am I seeing this light way up above me? It, it felt like a very like religious type of a, a thing. Like I'm being taken on this, like this trek up this mountain. I got this huge bright light shining down. I, I, it was really scary. It was like, it was super scary. Wow. And I kept questioning, like, if I could trust, I'm like, and none of that makes any sense. Like, all we are doing is just, we're going up a mountain, we're going on a trail. But I, I really couldn't see any of that. I couldn't, um, uh, my, my, the sleep deprivation had gotten to the point where uh, all the obvious things were kind of wiped away. Like, hey, we just need to keep moving on this trail. Like, I just, I couldn't even grasp that concept. Um and this is all kind of in hindsight, right? Like I'm essentially sleepwalking through this trail, but my mind is trying to rationalize it still with every ounce of 
logic that it has left. Uh, That's amazing. <laughs> and yeah. there, there, it was a real terrifying uh, experience in the sense that, like, I know he's my buddy. I trust him, like, with my life, right? Like, um, but I was just doubting. I was just questioning. I'm like, where are we going? Like, what? Why, why does he keep looking down on the ground? Like, I kept thinking that I have to, like, do what he's doing. And just just the concept of we're even in this race, like, disappears. It's, it's, uh, it was a pretty epic um, sleep deprivation, like, situation. And um, I never felt like, uh, how do I say it, like, in danger, like, so to speak. But it was just like kind of scary. Like, yeah. Why do I keep walking yeah. towards the light? And why is it like? Why is it shining so brightly? You got to imagine like a pitch black kind of backdrop where you can't really see anything except for this light. I mean, um, maybe that's why Kyle was seeing, seeing aliens. Uh, maybe it was that. That's that, totally that a possibility. Pitch. Um, you were you were seeing yeah. God and he was seeing aliens. I mean. Without saying it, I mean, that's basically how it felt to me. I thought either I'm being taken, like, um, to in some, like, weird cult thing where I'm, I'm being, like, taken and going to be sacrificed, or I don't even know. Like, your, wow. your mind just goes and runs the gamut of, of things. And ultimately, it led to me, I mean, I, I don't think I was going a mile an hour for a few hours. Like, I literally, um, I may, maybe it was a little better than that but it was pretty close i mean i was just sleepwalking through the night and then finally uh <laughs> when the sun came out again i finally woke up i found at the last day station i was able to to get there but what happened is i think it's happened to a lot of folks who just really pushed the that limit um and in this case like i rolled the dice and obviously should have taken a nap before i hit that uh, what I believe is a time limit for myself, um, and probably other people have, you know, some some sort of either distance or I think it's probably time where if they just haven't slept, um, you know, it, it'll be very difficult for them to continue moving forward let's, effectively. Let's talk about that because um, I could talk about hallucinations for three or four hours straight, probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, in terms of just. Having talked to people, it sounds like a 10-minute cat nap, wherever the heck you can get it in, is like a rejuvenating thing. Is that what you personally have experienced? Like 10 minutes can totally refresh you for 12 hours? Or just walk me through your logic yeah. and understanding of of sleep during these extremely long 200-mile, 240-mile races. Yeah, I mean, so I, I kind of learned on my, my first 200 miler that uh, that there definitely is a threshold where you just you literally become so ineffective at moving that um, you you should you have to sleep, you have to rest, you have to do something, um, and the answer is not just keep going. Um, and that first year, I uh, <laughs> I didn't really know right like where that line was. And then the second year, I, I went in. Uh, this is at both at Tahoe 200. Uh, I had a plan like I had, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to sleep for about 90 minutes at, um, at about a hundred miles. There was an aid station halfway through hundred, 103 miles or something like that. And what I came to realize was that, um, it was a lot easier, uh, in, to, you know, in theory to plan out, like just going to sleep 
And the reality is, is uh, you still have to fall asleep. Like you're running a race, your heart is, you know, you're, you're pumping a lot of blood through your body, right? Like you're moving, you're running and, uh, or you're hiking, you know, it, it's a pretty big effort. Um, and so just to shut down your body and rest your brain and turn everything off and sleep is kind of a big ask. And so you're trying to, I think you're trying to find this balance between I'm exhausted and I can easily fall asleep and planning like where you're going to fall asleep, right? Cause they're not necessarily going to be the same. Yeah. And, um, so, so the second and third years I did that, I did, I did, uh, two sleeps both times and I did, I, my goal for both of them was about 90 minutes. Both of them, I think maybe I got, I maybe got 30 or 45 minutes and maybe like 60 minutes another time. So it wasn't um, as efficient as I would like. I spent a lot of time just trying to get my heart to go down or try to relax or try to shut my eyes or turn off my brain. But um, then, then, then the goal was just to try to go a little further in that third uh, year three. So I went, I think 120 miles instead of a hundred before my first sleep and, and so forth. So I was trying to play with, Maybe I can get away with just one time sleeping and, and all that. And then, and then uh, of course, um, the fourth year uh, when I won, um, my plan was still to try to sleep at least one time. And, um, but what happened was I was, I was uh, pretty close to, I was within, you know, an hour or two of the lead. And um, each time I was kind of feeling pretty good. I had pacers. Um, and when I caught, I caught up with, uh, the person who was in third at the time and they stopped to sleep. And then the aid station at the, at the time told me, Hey, the, the, the two guys who are out in front are teaming are working together. Uh, they left like 15 minutes ago and I'm like, okay, my sleep plan is out the door. I'm just going to, I'm going to keep chasing. I feel good. So I didn't sleep at all that year. And, um, and I was able to finish in under, under 60 hours under what my, my belief, my, what I think my threshold of time is, um, like I mentioned before, it's somewhere between 60, I think in 64 hours. So, um, so this last year, so then at Moab, sorry, Moab, I got lost, um, last year at Moab for about four hours in the middle of the night, another hour later on. And it pushed me back in terms of my, my, my goal time. And it pushed me into that third night. It pushed me into like, I'm going to have to go over 60 hours to finish and I knew it was going to be a problem, but I was able to kind of sleepwalk the last five to eight miles with my pacer <laughs> and manage to, manage to finish. But that I, I went crazy slow through that section. Um, I, I had to tell him, like, he's got to keep reminding me, like, why we're out here. I, I Tell me what the goal is. Like, why? So we played games. Like, we played these mental games where he had to tell me, we're, okay, we're going to go to the next flag. I literally had to be, like... <laughs> He had to talk me through, you know, getting through this like hour 65 or 66. I didn't know what we were doing, uh, but I had the, um, I had sort of the grasp of, you know, reality is, is slipping away from me and, and I need you to really treat me like a, a four or five year old, like really explain everything repeatedly. And um, I somehow was able to get through that, you know, in the last couple of miles, um, when, when you can start to smell the, uh, the barn, so to speak, you know, um, I think you, something clicks and it, it was just the last couple of miles. I was, I was good, but, um, there were a few lost miles there where I just, my brain was, 
yeah. I needed that help. I needed that, like that someone to just guide me through and tell me like, Hey, we're in a race. You're, you know, you've got someone chasing you. You got to keep moving and so forth. So that was a kind of a, a pretty sweet, uh, memory because it went the right way. Um, it could have easily gone, um, a different direction. I could have, you know, wandered around up there by myself. <laughs> I, I joke sometimes after the race, like I could have still been out there wandering around. Um, <laughs> you were in, so, sl- you were too- in sleep flow. Like. I would totally, yes, exactly. <laughs> I was like 1% awake and it, you know, it's just enough. Uh, and it was through a section that was not like a trail, it was boulders. So it was like, the, oh, you know, if you've ever done any, if you've ever done any, um, running through like, uh, what is really typically like mountain bike terrain through, through boulders and stuff, they'll put like white lines, like, like basically where to yeah. go. Yeah. Um, so and the flagging was all yeah. over the place. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty wild. It was pretty wild. But what I understand um, now is that, is that section is like awesome during the daytime. So I'm hoping this year uh, to be able to go back and you know be in a position to to run through that during the day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and definitely. maybe have a different experience. But yeah, just like uh, your Infinite Loop section, which should be probably renamed Infinite Loop, just for that little section. Um, just throwing it out there, you know. It was, I really was like, man, I, you know, fourth dimension, I don't know what dimension we're in. It, you, you know, you start grasping at straws, I guess, for explanation of these things. And, so uh, it's, it's weird that a full night of sleep for you is like 45 minutes to an hour. Like, so even asking you a question of, do you take like a 10 minute nap? I mean, do you take any like micro naps, I guess, compared to your full blown? Yeah. Or do you just push um, it until that third night and that's like, you know what you're getting in into there? Yeah. So, so far, and I, I mean, I've had six chances to try stuff out. This is the tricky part, right? Like, it's not like a 5K or something where you can really uh, tool around with uh, your exact strategy but and do it, you know, over and over again. Um, but, yeah, it's just the first year I waited too long. And like I said, the second two years I did two sleeps each. And what I found was, I spent a lot of time trying to like in the aid station, just trying to wind down and, and then get started back up. Like I think people spend a lot of time trying to figure that part of it out because it's tricky. Um, but neither of those times did I do any shorter naps or attempts. And then, um, then Tahoe, you know, last year, like I said, I, I had, I really had, I was in a position where I had to just keep going after it um, and, and, and really go for the win. And that worked out well for me. Um, and then Moab, I had, uh, I got, like I said, I got lost from course vandalism really. And I, I didn't have a GPS device. Um, and I had, I literally had to wait on the trail for, uh, for a couple hours after, after already panicking and going around trying to find where the trail was because the, the markers were moved down the wrong trail and then removed from the correct trail for several miles. So I had to wait for the next runner to come through. And now I've never had panic on on a course before ever until that that moment, and it was that was just terrible, um, just ultimate panic. This this kind of lead that I had built up uh, for for a second um, at the time, uh, it just completely vanished. Um, but I didn't I didn't sleep there at all. So I, that was the longest uh, I'd gone um, until this year without sleeping. I went six just under sixty eight hours there. But like I said, the last, I mean, the last four to eight miles, four to eight hours, gosh, um, we're just, you know, sleepwalking essentially. 
And then this year, um, <clears throat> in hindsight, I would have uh, loved to have taken uh, a nap somewhere around 180 miles at the aid station there. Uh, and that would have been fantastic. I, I would have loved to have tried. So this year at Moab, um, I'm not going to leave an aid station if I can't finish it in under 64 hours. I don't think there's going to be any exceptions to that this year, um, possibly even 60. But I will definitely be, um, you know, trying to improve upon last year and push through the first couple nights. So I don't think that I wow. will stop and, yeah. and try to sleep. Uh, but but this year, I mean, I, I did uh, Tahoe through the sleepwalking. And, um, <laughs> I mean, it was about 74 hours, I guess, 72, 74 something like that. Um, but that third night, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely where, where the line is for me. Um, it's, it's fascinating because there's, there's not many people that have done a 200 miler, just one. And so it's, it's true. It's like an honor to be able to even chat about this. I mean, honestly, I'm surprised, um, they're not going to like, do tests on you and like you you are one of the most knowledgeable people within this realm of like sleeping during 200s and what was tahoe this year was your fifth tahoe 200 which is like i don't think anyone's done five of these right you were yeah the first. um for, first to, to do them all i guess uh <laughs> yeah. lucky to find out about um about Tahoe, you know, when Candace was still kind of imagining it and dreaming up the race concept. And, um, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to be able to toe the line, um, every year. And, uh, and, and this year, you know, despite, I, I really did have, um, I've struggled with some injuries for the last about nine or 10 months. I had a foot injury that I had, uh, after Moab last year when I ran Javelina and it took nine over nine months for that to heal properly, um, and so you know I, I really reduced my schedule earlier this year, um, removed races I would have run for training and so forth, and, and so really um, my goal was was to try to finish the race and try to be competitive. But I knew that um, you know the buildups that I had done before just weren't quite where I wanted them to be, um, and it really made me appreciate like the you know, it's, it's almost more important to be healthy and, and able to run, um, without kind of questioning, uh, than being necessarily a hundred percent like trained up. Um, especially if, totally. if you do have a lot of experience. Yeah. So I've been focusing almost all year on just on that alone, you know, just trying to do like the little extra things. Um, uh, you know, trying to, I got one of the, those like, um, uh, hypervolt, uh, massagers. Actually, my wife got it. And I mean, just doing like little things like that, making sure you're rolling out, um, you know, tr trying to ease into to training runs, like doing the little warm ups that everyone else tells you that you're supposed to, supposed to do that no one ever, you know, well, some people do, but, <laughs> um, they're easy to skip, you know, and just trying to just do a little bit more to prevent, uh, or, or at least to help myself get to the, to the line, um, you know, feeling hundred percent or close to that. And, um, so thankfully I was able to get through Tahoe yet, uh, this year again and, uh, and actually come out of it feeling really, really good. Um, and, uh, so some, some good, uh, confidence building going into Moab and in the rest of the year. And, uh, I assume you're looking, you, 
you're looking to to win Moab? Is that kind of your I'm A race? I'm definitely um, I'm definitely going to be going for it, and uh, I'll be looking to improve upon you know last year's experience uh, navigationally. I should know the course now. Know uh, you know the, the couple of places where I got stuck. Um, I'll have GPS. I think actually Candace is requiring it in in some small part for. There's been a handful of people who've been lost and like they have to go looking for people. But I think also, you know, um, last year at Moab when I, I literally just had to stay put until someone else came along. Um, you never know when the course can be vandalized or when there might be an issue like that. So um, it's a requirement now to have a, a GPX file on a device with you at all times. Yeah. So I'll have that that uh, that'll definitely be a in the pack. Um, so I'll feel confident about that and uh, kind of feel good about. Um, you know, at least being closer to 100% uh, than, you know, the last few months. That's a very big positive for sure. So, so. with all your experience in this bizarre distance, um, I mean, what what does the listener not know about 200s? Like, what's, what's something over, uh, you said you've done six of them now, seven? Yeah, six of them. Six of them? Um, like, what's what's the unknown factor that, might surprise the uh, the listener that's you know maybe done a few fifty k's fifty milers, um, but just never is reported or just you know not a people not enough people have done them to realize something. Um. Yeah. It's uh, interesting. Uh, well, it's it's as hard as you want it to be. I'll, I'll put that out there. Like, I think sometimes people get asked the question, do they think a hundred miler is easier or harder than a 200 miler? If you're treating a 200 miler, like, uh, like you can, you're going to try to take the majority of the allotted time, then it, it could feel a lot easier on your joints. It could feel a lot easier on your tire, uh, body, probably not your feet, but, um, mentally probably a little less exhausting to, to some degree if you're sleeping, um, but if you are trying to put forth a, an effort where you're trying, you're trying to be as competitive as you would be at say like a hundred miler and, uh, and really go for it then, or even a, a shorter race, uh, then I, I'd say it can be extremely challenging logistically. Um, as you were talking about earlier, like just planning for a race of this distance, like thinking about where you're going to put drop bags, what kinds of clothes you're going to put there, what kind of nutrition you're going to put there are you going to eat at the aid stations? And if so, what are you going to eat? What are you going to ask for? Um, are you prepared for the heat, uh, of, of Moab, like in the desert? Cause Moab gets really hot during the day. Are you prepared for the night? I mean, it get, gets freezing. We had an aid station last year. I ran through the second night, um, 160, 170 miles in, uh, um, climbing this huge mountain range and it was like seven degrees the aid station food was all frozen over like that the, there's like some guacamole uh it was like had this layer of ice on it and the and the poor guys at the aid station who drew the short straw there were like five or six guys they were all in like 10 layers of clothes it was not enough clothes they had one little dinky heat lamp um that they were all kind of huddled around they had to put all the food inside of the cars to keep it warm enough for people to eat. I mean, it was uh, just wild how cold it was. And um, so, I mean, there are extreme temperature changes. Um, some of the distances that the crew will have to drive can be, you know, several hours. Um, and, uh, you know, 
all the while, you have to make sure to take care of your feet. I think first and foremost, when I when I talk to people about you know, two hundred mile distance, I I talk a lot about the, the feet. Make sure that you take care of your feet. Uh, wear gaiters, wear gaiters, and um, and make sure that you know you have shoes that you're really really feel comfortable in. Um, to have a little bit of space, you know, for your feet to swell if they need to swell and so forth. If you get any little rock or pebble in there, I mean, you got to take it out immediately because that tiny little thing in your in your shoe will create a major problem over enough miles. Um, and so it's just like there's a lot of logistics, right? You're planning for a whole bunch of different things. And then the big question mark for most folks is, is really do I sleep? How long do I sleep? When am I going to sleep? And trying to figure out what aid stations make sense. Do I sleep at night? Do I sleep during the day? Um, you know, uh, do I need to have like a sleeping bag? Am I going to, you know, what is my strategy going to be? How am I going to feel when I wake up was always a big question mark for me before I started doing these. Like, will I feel refreshed? I don't know. I mean, will I feel kind of groggy afterwards? Um, you know, just all, all the normal stuff then you would also think about for a hundred miler. Um, you know, do I have, uh, the right clothes? Like, um, uh, have I done the right training? Am I, am I doing the right types of runs? So you just start thinking about everything. Um, but I would say really taking care of your feet, um, making sure you have a strategy. If you wear like contact lenses or glasses and all that kind of stuff, you have another layer of, of just things to think about. Um, like I wear contacts and I'm, I'm thankful that I have like soft contacts that I can wear for three days straight. Um, but you have to have a strategy for that kind of stuff. Um, you might have to have, you're going to de- definitely need to think about your lighting situation. So if you don't have enough lumens, like you're at a really di- big disadvantage. One of the, the best things I think you can do to battle like sleepiness is to put forth as much light as you can and, tr- and really try to emulate the daytime as much as possible. Whether it's, uh, you know, a big Petzl headlamp or um, I got this Ultra Spire uh, waist belt. I usually wear both. You know, you're going to have to have multiple batteries for both. Um, you might have multiple headlamps. You might even get one of those Coke Gala lights that a lot of people have been using for, for adventure races. I mean, if I could duct tape like a, a semi-truck light to my forehead, I would totally <laughs> do that. Like. Uh, I really do think it helps battle some of the like sleepiness tendencies that will occur in those wee hours in the morning. Um, get a pacer. If you can get a pacer, have a pacer at all times as much as you can. Uh, at night, they will provide additional light output, and you need to take advantage of that. Make sure they've got a lot of lumens on their whatever they're wearing. Um, you know, keep it fun. I mean, keep a pace going that you feel like you can sustain um, comfortably for a while, like a, a several days (laughs) um you know you don't want to necessarily go out you know uh at at your 10k pace you know right out of the gate (laughs) um and and i think you know don't get too comfortable like don't like sit at aid stations for too long uh, if you're going to sit at all um yeah i don't overeat i think a lot of people tend to just scarf down like maybe too much in like a, a large sitting instead of maybe grazing a little bit more like i would recommend spreading out the food intake more consistently how many um, how many calories are you putting down in in like an hour on average throughout like a a big effort yeah, uh, i for for the 200s i have calories in my bo- my water bottles um the whole way through um i'll usually have uh, just a complex carb for um at least three I'd say 300 calories, 300 to 400 calories per 
uh, 20 ounce, 18 to 20 ounce bottle, something like that. Um, yeah. I like to use bottles cause I can visually see and gauge exactly what I'm, t- I'm consuming. Um, and, uh, and then at eight stations, I graze and, and my rule of thumb is typically, um, cause you'll see an eight station only every 15 to 20 miles. Um, I'll usually get, I like to do like three bites. So if I ask for anything, it's usually some sort of avocado or hummus or some sort of uh, vegan item that has some calories in it. Um, it's easy to, to digest, but a very small portion. Um, so three, two to three bites is what I ask for, and that's what I'll do. And um, But I'll, I've seen people down like three or four burgers, and I'm like, I don't know how you're running after that. Yeah, like you're pretty much going to be hiking if you you're going to eat that di- much food. Yeah, you can't digest that many calories. Like, it's... It's exactly. just going to yeah, come you, back up. <laughs> everybody or, or has, straight um, through. <laughs> yeah, well, everybody has a rate of absorption, and, and without going into the science of it all, I mean, you can only absorb so many calories per hour, right? And it's usually in three to 400 calories per hour range. So if you're really going beyond that, you're you're not necessarily being as efficient with your, your, your stomach and your digestive system as I think that might be um, uh, as you could be. Um, so I, I definitely think, uh, stretching it out evenly, but, but consistently, like you, you gotta have, you gotta get the calories down. So there is definitely like a joke about like, it's kind of an eating contest. Um, but not necessarily who can eat all, you know, the most at this, at one time, uh, it's like who can continue to be consistent with their nutrition and, and probably don't experiment with stuff like the last minute, you know, stick to what you know, what you trained with, um, all the sort of basic advice you would you would normally get but it's it's really when you get out there the eight stations are so well maintained and, and packed with so many options so you, you you might think like something sounds really good like eat a bunch of cheese quesadillas or something but you know at some point um if that's not necessarily what you've been training to do it's probably not the best idea um but i, I eat a lot of like potato like simple things so um uh, just boiled potato and salt is really good. Um, like a, just a basic potato chip uh, and or pretzel. I, I definitely will snack on, on those um, as well as, like I mentioned, like some avocado-based um, or veggie-based wrap usually at one of the aid stations. Uh, every once in a while, uh, I might do um, like a, a veggie, like a vegan patty, uh, vegan burger. Um, Candace has gotten those set up sometimes, so... Just, but again, like, uh, you know, three bites, uh, something like that. And this last year at Tahoe, you know, I, I did struggle with the, the sleep deprivation piece, but my digestion, my stomach was perfect, 100%. I didn't have a, a single issue. Um, like I said, I had liquid calories the whole way through. Um, had, uh, you know, all-natural uh, gels from Mirror Energy. Um, they're all four to six-ingredient gels, Um and they're delicious. And I just mix it up. And then I eat the aid station, like I said, um, like little snacks at the aid station, uh, aid stations and, and really nutrition was on point. That's awesome. Um, let's switch to some quicker, quicker questions. I always start off with toe socks or no toe socks. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I wear ultra. So, um, naturally, uh, you know, in toe socks, um, are my go-to, Beautiful. Um, the last yes. few years, I've I've done um, uh, I've done just one pair of shoe. Uh, so last year Tahoe and Moab, and even this year I just I had a pair of Lone Peaks, 
and one pair of Benjinji and and a pair of gaiters. I usually I just I think I have um, ultra gaiters also and um, wore those the whole time. Didn't take them off. I didn't get any junk in my shoes. Um, my feet felt great afterwards. I mean, as, as good as they could feel after a 200. I mean, they, they definitely get, you know, they're, they're going to swell from that much uh, pounding on the earth, so to speak. But um, in terms of blisters or issues, like I, I didn't have any problems there. And, and that's my go-to for pretty much every ultra race. Um, and then like, you know, afterwards I, I go straight to compression socks Um I wear, you know, pro compression for recovery, um, for like a week straight. I don't even take, I'll, I'll switch them out and, but I literally wear them around the clock. Um, and that definitely helps a ton. It's good. It's good that your girlfriend is an ultra runner. Cause she, yeah. Is it your girlfriend or wife? I'm sorry. I didn't... Yeah. Yeah. My wife. Yeah. Wife. She's, okay. Uh, an ultra, an ultra runner as well. Uh, she's run, uh, uh, a bunch of ultras now and she she definitely loves trails she, and mountains she totally stuff, gets so. it if you're wearing compression gear for a week straight where my wife's gonna look <laughs> at me like i am a stranger and i need to get those off and wash them um so what what other gear um do you like to utilize during you know a 200 miler since you're you're the yeah, go-to guy um, well i i would say um if you're not using poles uh, if you have, if the race has any elevation, any climbing at all, Tahoe is somewhere around 40,000 feet of climbing. Um, so, you know, in Moab is, Moab is a little less, you know, it's a longer race, but um, I think it's closer to 30,000 feet of climbing. There's sections where you, you just, you're going to save yourself later in the race by having poles. And I would say that my improvement from year one to year two at Tahoe 200 uh, was like primarily just bringing poles with me. And, um, you can use them on the downhills. Like if you got steep downhills, you can just save some of your, your legs for later in the race. And then obviously for some of the climbing on the steeper stuff, I'd say poles are number one. Uh, you don't have to use them the whole way through too. Like if you want to get some good faster miles, just throw them on your pack. Most packs will, uh, support some sort of pull, um, you know, latching your poles on there, um, keep them out of the way and, and get really light ones. Get, um, I, I love the black diamond, um, poles that just fold up they're they're like the carbon z fiber um they're fantastic you can barely feel them um a lot of people are using the lecky poles too i mean those look pretty cool uh, they have like a special gripping mechanism um, i've always used the, the, the little loop in the the pole the top of the handle stick my my hands through that and using that um so i don't have to grip as hard so you can come up with little strategies to use the poles uh pack obviously um uh, I've used the ultimate direction packs the last couple of years. I usually go with something a little more minimal. Um, uh, you can get like an adventure pack for a 200 miler, but I'll, I'll try to not carry quite as much uh, just to reduce overall weight. Um, you're going to want to have something to help you if it gets cold out. So like a, a rain, especially if it gets a little damp uh, or windy. Um, so I've been using like the ultimate direction. Um, it's like, it's a windbreaker. It's, it's the UTMB, uh, windbreaker jacket um, it has the tape seams it helps you with the rain it's super nice. lightweight you can roll it up into like the size of a tennis ball um, I had to get it for UTMB for a few years ago and I, I, I love that thing it's, it's awesome I think they have a newer one that's um, you know probably has some improvements to it um, and then um, let's see what else uh, 
if you oh 200 miler bring chapstick and it sounds kind of silly and basic but like my lips were like I, they looked so swollen after Moab last year because you're running in what is essentially desert conditions for all the daytime running. And I could, my lips were so sore. And so this year I took some chaps to get to Tahoe and uh, it was a lot better situation. Nice. But you'd be surprised at how much sun exposure um, uh, there, there can be out there. Um, and headlamps, like lighting for the nighttime, like bring everything you can bring extra batteries, have them already charged, bring backups. You don't want to be stuck out there a, with just really lousy headlamps or not enough light. And I really think that people, um, especially if, they, if, you, if, if you haven't had experience running through multiple nights or even a full night, um, go out and practice it. Um, go out in the middle of the night at midnight or, or, or get up a few hours early and just start running when it's pitch black and uh, on a trail and make sure that you get those miles in and then you test out the headlamp and then, you know, you really see like what is visible and what is not. Um, one of the things that will happen over time, you get a lot of dust um, on some of the trails uh, at night, over, like the aggregate amount of stuff flying around, you're, it can stick to your contact lenses, it can get into your eyes, your, your vision will, will change, I would say, uh, or it's likely to change over the course of a 200 miler. Uh, maybe not to the point where you're completely blinded, but I think you might have like a five to 10% reduction of, of vision quality. Um, and at night it just becomes more and more uh, obvious. So just keep that in mind. And then, um, on that note, you know, make sure you've got eye protection. So, um, sunglasses, if it's sunny, obviously if you can get some of those like cool glasses that, that change or, um, uh, change like transition lens, um, or even like clear glasses for like night that can save you for windy conditions. I've had some experiences where it just got so windy that your eyes will dry out and all that kind of stuff will factor into, you know, at some point in the race potentially. Um, so you just want to kind of be aware of that. Um, and then I'd say like, obviously like warmth, like make sure you've got the appropriate amount of warmth for the night. If it's cold, if you're at the point in the race where you're not going to be running and you're going to have to hike, uh, especially if it's a big climb, um, you're 150 plus miles in, you know, plan on having enough warmth to get you through without risking hypothermia or, or some other type of condition that could put you out of the race. Um, and then, uh, I, I strongly recommend for the for the daytime to have something to hold ice in. So if it's hot out, like if it's in the 80s or 90s, which will feel very hot if you're trying to run, um, then make sure you've got something that you can hold ice in. I, I love to put ice in what I call like an ice donut around my neck, and I'll just pack basically a buff um, and, uh, and have that full of ice, and it'll just like slowly melt. But when, the, when it's hot out, I mean, there's – there's nothing more refreshing. Um, so I would say those yeah. are some of the staple things for sure. I love um, those. Those are great. I mean, they're applicable to hundred milers or even a hundred K sometimes. So absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah any, that's, any that's race awesome. where, where it's going to be hot and you're going to, it's going to be in exposed conditions. Um, yeah, I definitely take advantage of the ice for sure. So last gear question, your trademark pink hat. I need to hear the story behind that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 
that's an interesting question. So the, the first uh, year I ran um, Tahoe, um, I got I got the pink trucker hat. I've always really liked um, the combination of of like a sort of electric blue or like a royal blue and the color pink. And um, so so at that race, I, I got uh, I got the hat and um, and it was interesting because. Uh, what I later found out uh, was that it became sort of easy to spot uh, for for my crew and uh, and then ultimately for my for my wife and not just necessarily for like 200 milers but for bigger races where there are more people and um, um, you know your crew's kind of waiting around and all of a sudden they, they they can spot you you know coming through with the pink hat and they can get prepared and everything so there's definitely like a, a visual aspect to it. Um, uh, that kind of helped it stick around, but I've just always really liked the look. Um, and, uh, so it's, it sort of stuck. And I think a couple of people, uh, after I ran enough races with, with a pink hat on would start to say, Hey, you know, Hey, pink hat or, or whatever. <laughs> and it just, it, it, I realized pretty quickly that, um, like I, I pretty much needed to wear a pink hat and people would remember, um and say hi and uh and so forth it's become your trademark i i even did a double take i think at javelina or black canyon or one of the races that we were racing the same same one and i i did a double take but by then you had gone one way or the other or whatever um but yeah it's easily spottable for sure it's it's cool it's unique um so i had to ask about it so thank you for taking all this time, and I know the listeners definitely going to be picking up one or two tips, or just be like entertained by hallucination stories. Honestly, um, <laughs> so I want to finish with two questions. Uh, one is sure. where where did the ten races a year that are hundred miles or longer type goal come from? Like why why ten ten by one hundred? <laughs> repeat <laughs> for one yeah, year yeah. i mean that's that's huge that's cool i think um that's a great question you know 10 has has a real round number um initially when i started thinking about it was maybe maybe i could go for 400 miler every month um and, and i think what had happened was a year before i tried to do that um i i got a chance to run a a race with Ed Eddinghausen, the jester, and he was on this mission to, and he succeeded to, to set the record of most hundred milers in a year. And I thought, wow, that's, that's, an, that's in pretty, a pretty incredible. Um, and, uh, and so I ran what was sort of like a race that was created at the last minute to, to create like another quote unquote official race that he could use in that quest. And I think probably it, it inspired me a little bit to think about, you know, well, what could I, what could I do? Like what, how many could I finish? And, um, you know, what is the line? Um, where, where is the line for me? And I, I think I started questioning some of that stuff and I thought maybe a dozen would be, you know, that would be a big year. That'd be pretty awesome. So that was my initial thinking going into it. Um, and then, you know, went just like anything else, you kind of dive right in, try to plan for all that, all the logistics, the travel, the cost. I mean, obviously these things are expensive and, um, so just trying to take in consideration all that. Obviously, um, yeah, someone who works full time, uh, trying to find the time to train. And, and I think uh, a large part of that was, 
you know, thinking about the, the 200 mile distance and how to train for that and how to get the miles in and to make sure that I got the miles in and what's the closest thing that I could do, you know, to a 200 without actually running a 200. And, um, and, you know, it's basically run a hundred miles and, and do that a bunch of times and, and learn from that. And, and that was, that was the battle plan in the last couple of years. Um, it would have been my, again, like I said, a B goal because it, it ultimately wasn't my primary goal for the year, but it was important enough for me to, to kind of have at the top of, of the list and in the back of my mind, like I want to just finish these. They're fantastic training. They're big confidence boosters. I'm always learning something uh, from, and I love the community. So, I mean, um, something I, I didn't get really a chance to talk about too much, but um, I mean, I love the mountain ultra trail community. I love, um, just the, the, the people who come out and, and enjoy the trails, um, take care of the trails, um, tell stories, the community is everything. And so it's just, it's just so much fun. So, um, couldn't agree so more, man. The, yeah, it's awesome. It's just, uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's where the 10 came from. And, um, it was, once I did it once, I'm like, well, you know, just like other things, like let's validate it do it again it's it's been a successful formula and um like i mentioned i would have done it again this year but um just you know needing to recover from this foot injury uh i just dialed back i just did fewer miles this year fewer races i still did quite a few things but i i made sure to do more more running that was going to be um not set me back so i did a lot more flat flat running um faster miles uh, in a lot of cases more road miles um and really just trying to take care of that foot and um and then next year you know we'll 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 see if i i go back to that uh goal of 10 again um that could be kind of cool uh more evenly spaced would be nice than um trying to pack it all into a real short window but um i'd say uh it's definitely yeah something i might try again and and i I don't know if i go ahead sorry yeah i don't know if i would i would um, I, I mentioned Ed's record. Uh, you know, I did get asked about that a little while back. Um, you know, is that something I'd be interested in, in trying to, to go after? So, you know, in the back of my mind, it's sort of one of those things that, that uh, I think would be kind of cool to try to do. Um, I know logistically it would be extremely difficult, um, just finding enough races. I know there are a few other people out there who are, who are trying, um, or thinking about it in in any case. um, How many, how many did he do just out of curiosity? Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, he, so I think the record was in the thirties at the time, like maybe the mid thirties and he broke 40. He definitely broke 40. I'm trying to remember if it was 42 or 43. I don't want to misquote that. So, so I would say 40, 40 ish. I mean, hundred mile yeah. races in one year. Yep. Wow. That's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. So that's like, so you need to be doing one I a think... week essentially like to break that record. Yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, and, and that was, uh, I mean, that's a, like, wow, you know, one a week. It's crazy. And they, <laughs> these aren't just runs, 100-mile runs. Like, he, he sought out and or helped create actual races. So I think that technically it had to be sanctioned as, like, six six or more runners to form a race, like an official race. Uh, and a lot of them were, you know, you know yeah, there are definitely big mountain races in there, um, a lot of the 24-hour, 48-hour type races in there. Um, but just to find enough of them is, is a big challenge. Some weekends you'll be lucky and, and they'll be, uh, well, not unlucky because you'll have like three or four 
big hundred mile races, but they're all the same weekend. And maybe the next weekend there's only one or there aren't any. So, um, yeah, I know like logistically trying trying to to string them all together. Yeah, it's definitely a a pretty, uh, ambitious goal. So it'd be cool to see if someone else, uh, tries to go after that. And, uh, and maybe in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about it at some point, but, uh, right now just having a lot of fun with with uh, the 200s, so. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, for the listener's background, check out his ultra sign-up page at some point, and you'll see, like, oh, man, how do you even interview this guy? Like, we <laughs> we could dig into just your first three races on ultra sign-up and talk about those for an hour, and you've just done so many amazing races, and it's been a, a true pleasure, you know, speaking with you, and, and I truly appreciate all the time. Um, that you've taken, and I know the listener's going to take something good away from this. And again, if anything, just those hallucination stories. <laughs> Hopefully, I don't <laughs> well, have I too many it. of my own. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'll be weeks. it'll be cool to talk to you uh, after after you uh, tow the line out there and and, yeah. and get to experience uh, Moab yourself. And I'll be excited to uh, chat with you afterwards. Yeah, for sure. What do you think? We'll we'll have a beer or something. I I I don't know even know if you drink. I, you probably don't drink. Now that I said that, um, I wanted I wanted to ask one last question. Normally I ask you know advice for someone thinking about an ultra. I want to I want to ask you what last piece of advice would you give someone thinking about doing a run streak? Run streak, yeah. Um, keep it simple. Nice. You no, know, make, make, make your goal so simple that there's like zero excuses not to follow through. Um, and, uh, I think that's the key. That's the key to doing it every day. I mean, you got to find joy, you know, in even the most difficult things. Um, but I think keeping it simple and do it for your own reason. Like don't necessarily worry about what other people are, are doing or why they're doing it. I mean, definitely draw inspiration, um, you know, for where needed, but kind of have your own motivation for doing it, whether it's like how you feel afterwards, like it's a great way to start your day, um, you know, or it's uh, just, you like the idea of having something that you follow through on repeatedly, consistently. Um, You know, a lot of people will, will do a run streak um, really like as a commitment to themselves, like a reinvestment in themselves. Um, like, you know, you deserve to, to be fit, you deserve to feel good, um, and healthy and, um, you know, what a great way to kind of celebrate that and, um, and make it just a part of like who you are, uh, and, or, you know, who you are aspiring to, to, to be or feel like. And, um, so I'd say just keep it simple. That's awesome. I mean, it's, it's a great way to end just hearing that, knowing this is, that was the genesis of uh, all your running, really, was that second day that led to the third day, and your run streak continues. It's pretty crazy, man. Yeah. It's pretty One awesome. One in front of the uh, in front of the next, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Where can um, people follow you on social media? Um, yeah, Instagram is good. Um, Ultra Runner SD, okay. uh, SD as in San Diego. Um and uh, I'm on Facebook too, uh, not as much, but um, you can find me on there. Just search for Sean uh, S E A N Nakamura, 
Um, but yeah, Instagram's great. Uh, certainly, if any anyone has questions about uh, really anything, uh, send me a message. Um, I'd be happy to to get back to you. Awesome, Sean. Thank you again for taking so much time. Truly enjoyed it, and I'll see you out in Moab here shortly. Awesome. Thanks so much, Rob. All right. See ya. And that's episode 63. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big thank you to Sean for taking all his time. And it was just insightful, fun, entertaining. Hopefully you guys picked up some cool tips that you can actually utilize come race day to help help you get to that finish. Best luck to Sheila going after her 100-mile race. Um, I love that message. I was just really touched by that one. For some reason, of all the ones I've gotten, I like, I like that she's just going for it. That she was in her comfort zone doing 50Ks, doing 50-milers, and just is going for it. I mean, sometimes that way, that's exactly what you have to do. Um, that's what I'm doing as you listen. I'm probably still running at Moab. And, uh, yeah, I just appreciate you guys. I appreciate the Patreon supporters, our closed Facebook group for those Patreon supporters. We have a little bit more laid-back, fun conversations we were talking about the uh, Mall of America 100 as a potential crazy idea. Um, and yeah, some other kind of unique insights there. So I do appreciate the Patreon supporters. Thank you to Exoskin. Um, they truly hooked me up with a bunch of great gear, great socks and calf sleeves and base layers. And it's some of the nicest material I've ever worn. Again, they're giving us a generous promo code T4U20 for 20% off. Check that out. Big thank you to Hammer Nutrition. They sent me this big care package before Moab. So huge thank you to that team. Definitely love working with you guys. Big thank you to Destination Trail, Candace Burt. Check out their website if you want an epic challenge or just a, a local race. They put on all kinds of events. I know they have some new races lined up for 2019. And uh, yeah. I'm excited to experience my first destination trail race. And last but not least, Sufferfest. I have a six pack, I think, of FKT um, ready for me at the finish line. <laughs> Hopefully I get to enjoy one. Um, but they, yeah, they have great distribution in Colorado and California. And if you can't get it in your state, just check out their website and they do offer some shipping options, just as a heads up. Have a great week. Enjoy your training. Stay motivated. Truly appreciate you guys. Thank you.